Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week, I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Pippa Coombe is a rare Auckland councillor who is championing cycle infrastructure and walking infrastructure. Before entering politics, she was a lawyer with Vector Energy, and before that, she was an organiser of sustainability events in inner-city Auckland, or at least in her Greyland area, and was famous for her Frocks on Bikes event. Is that still going, Pippa? Frocks on Bikes still yet is a, is a thing. Lots of wonderful Excellent. women keep it, keep it running. Good stuff. Uh, she's Deputy Chair of the Environment and Climate Change Committee, Co-Chair of the Hauraki Golf Forum, and possibly one of the smiliest people I know. It's not easy being a councillor of any stripes, uh, whether you're left or right. So I'm interested to know, how do you keep smiling, Pippa? Well, I do feel very privileged to be in the role. I represent an amazing part of Auckland. I the, represent the beating heart of Tamaki Makoto and the Gulf Islands, and it's just a fabulous part of Auckland. And um, so I'm, I feel very fortunate to have this responsibility and to be working for Auckland. Um, so that's something that I, you know, definitely puts a smile on my face. And every day is different. You never know what's going to come along. And it's a, it's, a, it's a real fascinating mixture, too, of there's the sort of the meetings, which can be seen as the kind of the boring side of the job. But there's heaps of getting out there, meeting people, events and exciting projects to get stuck into. So I do love that combination and, and being in the role. Last year, or at least I think it was last year, you actually were abused at an event, which is, get this, it was about abuse towards city councillors. Tell us about that event, including, I think, a throat-slitting gesture shown to one of your councillors. Well, that was actually at a White Matar local board meeting, so I go along to give a monthly update as councillor, and I'm really there to sort of brief the board members on what I've been doing for the month before and, and bring to their attention anything that that's relevant. And so I was just giving an update on a wellbeing report that had just been released. And the, the wellbeing report, it was council's document looking at staff wellbeing. Um, so I was talking about that because that report or the survey of staff found that a lot of staff were suffering from inappropriate behaviour from, from the public and from elected representatives. So it was a re really kind of concerning finding. I mean, it did find that a lot of staff are also find that their wellbeing is, is looked after at council, but for a minority, there is, has been kind of this uptake of, of abuse and what the report called as inappropriate behaviour. Um, so I was just, it just happened that I was giving that update at the time that there were a couple of people in the, the room that were very antagonistic to my presence and other things that I was reporting on and issues that have been kind of controversial in the community, in particular um, the felling of the pine trees at Western Springs. And there was a whole combination, I guess, of factors that led to a, um, a bit of a, a 
unfortunate scene and a threat that was made to a local board member. So it just it, it's not what should normally be happening um, at a at a local board meeting or any any council meeting, um, but it did lead to a headline of councilled council councillor bullied while giving a report on bullying. <laughs> Do you think that people have always been upset or particularly upset at local politics or is, it seems to bring out the worst in people, doesn't it? But is that abuse getting worse or has it always been that way? Well, I have been on council now for 11 years. Um, so I was nine years on the Waitamata local board. And sort of looking back, I think what's changed, I mean, we definitely have always had very heated meetings. And if you think back to the whole process of the unitary plan or those sort of controversial decisions that we had to make as a local board, I mean, you'd often have quite intense public meetings. But I think what's changed is the whole online abuse and mm. people, I mean, you know, the classic keyboard warriors who kind of feel that they can they can say whatever they want online and they're probably people that might not actually say it in, in person or to your face. And I think that's really ramped up. And I think we've seen that across the whole discourse of politics of where you've got a lot more misinformation being shared and people more willing to jump into conspiracy theories. Um, there's probably been like with because of COVID, this heightened anxiety around a whole lot of issues. And I think some of that brings it, you know, that, that um, politicians, of, co of course, we, you know, we need to take a stand and that's going to bring us into a position where issues are going to be strongly, strongly debated. But I think the, the personalization and the level of abuse and the misinformation is is a new thing or, or getting stronger, I guess. And then there's mm -hmm. also councillors who are having to deal with it from a really, you know, they, they're getting racist abuse as well. So that you get that whole, you know, different, there's different extremes of it. How do you cope with that? What keeps you going? You presumably could get a nice comfy job as a lawyer somewhere. I don't know if the legal profession would have me back, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think you do have that kind of moment of going, you know, why, why are we doing it? But um, it's really important to remember that a lot of that noise is coming from a very small group of people often and that actually, like me personally, I, I got elected with a very strong mandate with very clear principles and policies that I stood on and that's because I come from, I'm, I stand on a platform with City Vision, which is a coalition of Greens, Labour and community independents like me. So we have a progressive philosophy and what I find is that we stay firm to our principles and our policies and knowing that there are supporters out there that there's, you know, that, that I guess it's the sort of the silent majority are there who I know have got my back. They've got the wind in my sails. They are the wind in my sails and they, they keep me kind of on the direction I'm going. Um, so I think that's always important to reflect on that that mm. you know a lot of it's just a really small minority that that can be can make it ugly uh, when i put it out on twitter that i was interviewing you a few days ago and i asked people for questions and there were quite a few questions but they had a common theme and it was largely about not being progressive enough 
So some of the questions, I, I guess if you summarise them, would be how do you rate the performance of the council in actually delivering expectations around this progressive agenda and particularly around climate change? Yeah, we did get a lot of really good questions back. I saw saw those and um, it was good to see that there was a lot of interest in, in asking questions. And you're right, there was this very strong theme. Um, it is... I mean, in terms of council, we're a mayor and 20 councillors. So it's how do you bring along that group um, to to get decisions and move forward? And generally, over the last 11 years, we have had a progressive council. And I think in, on the positive side of that, we've seen, I mean, it's amazing. We signed off the climate plan unanimously. Um, and it wasn't that long ago we had a climate denier on council. So we've come a long way in terms of that climate plan and it's actually more ambitious than government's goals. So yes, we're looking to reduce our emissions by 50% by 2030 and not just looking at the, the longer term goal. And um, it's a very comprehensive plan that's a plan for Auckland. So I can totally understand the the frustration that we've got to get on with this as fast as possible. And that's you know something that um, I'm working with Richard Hills, who's the chair of the Environment and Climate Change Committee, that we're really conscious of that. Every decision we make, we're thinking of that climate lens. Is it putting us on that pathway? And um, But what we're up against, and I mean, this is sort of systemically, I guess, not just us individually, is how we've, we've got to turn the walker around. We're, we've, there's this massive pushback to just keep doing business as usual. And um, you see that all the time. You see that with, um, you know, the government's announcements from the New Zealand upgrade program. A lot of those projects that were funded at the beginning before COVID were just business as usual roading projects that weren't making that transformation that we need. So, you know, we're trying to turn a lot of things around. And, and also it's, it's great to see now that we've got government, you know, Minister Woods is really making some, you know, quite um, amazing decisions that are, are sort of trying to unwind some of that mm. business as usual. Mm. And that's very controversial and it's been, it hasn't been kind of received that well by Aucklanders. So I'm not really answering the question in terms of, you know, how, how far are we going in the right, are we getting there? I mean, I feel generally that we're, we're on the right curve. It's just got to keep, focused on what, what we're trying to achieve and making that difference whenever we can in terms of um, those decisions that will be transformati transformational and mm. put us on the right well, pathway. Back to those uh, Twitter questions, a lot of them focused on the frustration that people feel around Auckland Transport as an execution arm of Council's agenda. And let's just talk about some of those specific things. The plan that was just passed this week uh, the long-term plan shows a increase in transport emissions over the next decade, or at least at the very best staying steady, despite some $37 billion worth of spend. Uh, in what way is that acceptable? And if it's not acceptable, what mechanism do you have as a council to hold Auckland Transport to account? It was a few things there. I guess in terms of looking at Auckland Transport as a council-controlled organisation, one of my huge frustrations of being on council has been how slow Auckland Transport's been to deliver active transport. 
um, to get people with options to not use a car. And that has been a massive frustration. And I guess that's at one mm. level. And then you've got this this regional land transport plan that we're going to come to us next week for endorsement. And I think it's just been released today, kind of a teaser that it actually only is going to shift the dial by another 1%, like it was looking at a 6% decrease. Now it's maybe 1% less than that. So it has been tweaked a bit, but not that really fundamental change. So I need to get into the details of that before next week. I guess one thing to highlight is that that plan isn't everything. It's not intended to be capture everything that we have to do to reduce transport emissions. So mm. I know what Auckland Transport is saying is that we've got to use, what I hear a lot is we've got to use absolutely every lever and council controls some of those levers and government controls the bulk of them. So I'm I'm kind of feeling that the plan hasn't done, a, isn't doing enough. Um, but if we can get work with government, then that's that's what we've got to, you know, that is absolutely the priority. Hmm. One of the suggestions made by Auckland Transport is that the government needs to step in with some sort of tax treatment or congestion pricing. The ability to use a stick, not just a carrot for incentivising, but a stick for punishing people for driving cars. And I'm using extreme language, obviously, but has, is congestion pricing or some sort of uh, stick uh, been on the council's agenda? And do you have a point of view about that? Yes, we, we actually have a position. So it was Shane Allison, who's the CEO of Auckland Transport. So with government has consulted on the congestion question and council has done a, a submission on that. And our feedback is that we support congestion pricing in principle. Um, and what we want to see is that congestion pricing happens when there are choices. There's got to be... Um, there's got to be alternatives to driving and also that congestion pricing has got to be used in a way to make our transport system more equitable because there's a lot of concern that if you just put in pricing today, all of those people who don't have alternatives to driving, who live yeah. in poorer parts of Auckland, who have to drive further for jobs, they're the ones who are going to be pinged and that's going to have a, a really inequitable outcome. Um, so that's what we've got to avoid with congestion pricing. We've got to make sure it's actually about helping like small business owners, um, helping people who need to get to jobs, um, achieve greater equity for them rather than just making it so that the rich can drive more easily. And I guess a big thing why I'm really behind congestion pricing is because it, there's, the equi there's the equity part of it because I think our current transport system is not equitable at the moment. The status quo isn't, and people presume that it is, but a lot of those costs have been internalised. Well, externalised, actually, haven't they? Like when you think about air mm. pollution, un unsafe cars, all of those you know, factors are um, the costs of the transport system now. So with congestion pricing, we can start – um, actually pricing transport properly and we can also start using the networks that we have more efficiently. Like we know mm. that with congestion pricing, 20% of driving would just disappear. 
because it, mm. so much of it is discretionary and under 5Ks. So that's like the school oh. holiday, you know, effect. Well, I want to come back to that equity question because I think it's really interesting. But let me just finish with a couple of questions around transport in particular. And another criticism that's come through on this Twitter poll uh, is that our experience of cycling around the city is just so poor and uh, and the commitment to active transport infrastructure, I think it's, it's really tiny. It's like 200 kilometres over the next five years of Auckland transport spending. <clears throat> According to Paul Winton, the, um, uh, the climate activist who I've interviewed a couple of times on this show, he's saying we should be to doing something like 200 kilometres every year uh, again, do you have some sort of influence over, uh, you know, is there a rocket that you can put up Auckland Transport to make that cycle infrastructure and walking infrastructure speed up? Well, this is um, absolutely something that I have been working away on, is trying to get Auckland Transport to take a new approach to delivering infrastructure because it's a massive disappointment at how backwards they've been going. I mean, it's quite ironic that um, it was in 2014, I think it was, that John Key announced the Urban Cycling Investment Fund. John Key actually did more for cycling in Auckland than anybody else, and he came up with this, this new fund. I was actually on the investment panel and the promise of that fund was we were going to have like an actual kind of network was going to be delivered by 2018. So, all, and Auckland Transport had the political mandate to deliver that and they have squandered it. And it's just an, it, you know, it is an area that I have have been working on to try and with other councillors and the support of the mayor to highlight the issues um, to get Auckland Transport to really address this head on. And um, I think we are going to hear some, um, well, a, a big factor is, for example, they don't have a champion for cycling within the organisation that has mm. sufficient um, authority within the, within an AT. And so that's hopefully something we're going to see a change on. Um, the fact that the walking and cycling team was disbanded, I think that was just has been an abject failure. Um, there's also how Auckland Transport responds to things like um, community pushback. They have responded in this way that is completely out of proportion to the, the number of people in the community who have opposed projects. And even where projects have not been opposed, they haven't delivered them. And then there's that whole compromise that Auckland Transport make when they deliver crappy infrastructure because they will not reprioritise road space. And I think what's going to change, well, what is already changing is that we're now getting clear direction from government and from the Climate Change Commission that we have to reallocate road space to be able to deliver infrastructure more quickly. Do you support a new harbour bridge for cycling? Yes, I mean, I was I was kind of surprised by that announcement. I wasn't expecting it, and it wasn't what the protest was about. So it's a, a kind of a shame that they've been conflated in a way because the the protest was about taking a lane of the existing bridge, and then you know a week later we get the announcement of a whole new bridge. And I've been getting a heap of correspondence about that. People are not impressed, but I do think that that is the the cost of 
um, a reset of the transport system. Like to have continued with Mill Road, that was going to be three and a half billion, and other roading projects. When actually mm. we have to make this fundamental shift, and I think that's the cost is is that um, we have to have that harbour connection. So I'm really pleased that the minister is progressed it, progressing it. I, I guess I do hope that when it goes through through the design business case, it will actually look that it it stacks up better to have bus lanes on there as well. You know, so that we don't mm. have to spend ten billion building a tunnel for rapid transport. Or um, why don't we just give over an existing lane to um, active transport and bus transport rather than build a new bridge? Well, that, that's exactly that's all that's all about using our existing network more efficiently. And I think that would work if we had congestion pricing, but we're probably three or four years away from that. I noticed there's interesting plans afoot around the downtown car park. And for those outside of Auckland, I apologise for the Auckland-centric nature of this conversation. But Pippa, can you explain what the plans are for that huge piece of concrete that's um, no longer fit for purpose, but it sits right at the heart of the waterfront area? Yeah, well, the, there is quite a sentimental attachment to the downtown car park because, you know, it is cheap and convenient, but it is a massive piece of prime waterfront land and an exciting opportunity has come along um, to take it out to market to see what the market would like to develop on that site and as council we had the opportunity to look at what the transport outcomes should be and should we prescribe you know what should be on the site and include including what the private developer wants to take forward so um, we had a bit of a debate about whether that should be a certain number of public car parks, um, but fortunately, we um, we landed on that that we won't prescribe that. I mean, the developer can put in car parks, but we have we do are looking for a bus interchange will be part of the new development, and also um, services for mobility, so accessible parking um, for like freight, also for e transport um, there was quite a few details about what we asked to go into the the market proposal um, in terms of like I know this is gets a lot of people concerned well where will we park in downtown it's important to remember that the development will take seven to eight years so there won't be any parking at all in that time and so we've got and when it opens it will be say 2028 Auckland downtown will be very different we'll have the city rail mm link will be open, there'll be light rail, a lot more bus services, there'll be electric ferries, and there'll still be parking because people will still drive and council will still own the Fanshawe Street car park, which is 400 metres away. And that's probably going to be, you know, where the short-term parking will move to. And there won't ever not be parking in downtown. It's kind of interesting that so many of the objections to change are so visceral and it seems to uh, unite otherwise uh, unlikely contenders into a, a movement opposing change, whether it's uh, bike lanes or uh, walking or uh, public transport or other environmental initiatives. Uh, uh, here, so here's my question. Do you worry that being too progressive that you will galvanise some sort of opposition movement? 
Well, I think that's exactly what we're going to see at the election next year for local government. There will be, it's going to be a, a, I guess, a conflict point between those who don't want change, who want to keep doing what they've always done and progressive politicians like me wanting to keep their momentum going. And we're seeing that in kind of the response from drivers who who are angry about cycle lanes or angry about the protest on the bridge, that they're feeling like something's being taken away from them, that they've got an entitlement and um, they don't want to give it up. And so I do think we're going to see that, that there's, there's, it's really going to come to the sort of the sharp end. And we're already seeing that, you know, with different political commentators and people on the right saying, we're going to take them out. We're going to you know, stop this climate change agenda um, and they, they are feeding into fears of people who who are are worried about what what change is going to happen. That they might have to live a bit differently. They might have to drive their cars less. You know, what does it mean? And then there's always that anxiety on top of that about paying more rates. And um, as Auckland, we've we've never been good at making those hard decisions about actually having rate increases that mean we can invest. Mm. So that's why we've got, mm. you know, shit in the harbour is because we didn't do that investment because politicians never want to put their neck on the line, especially mm. in, you know, the old Auckland City Council. They, they were notorious for keeping rates really low, artificially low, and not investing. And um, mm. it's, that's, that's going to be a lot of the... I guess on the on the battle lines next year, a lot of that debate. Some of the concern um, in opposition is is quite legitimate. I think, if particularly think about the unfair costs that will be carried by parts of Auckland and Aucklanders who are caught up in the change around accessibility. You know, there are so many policy changes going on that uh, to address climate change well, that will have a a cost that is unfairly distributed. So I'm curious to know how aware are you of needing to make some kind of compensation for change to get a just transition? And let's be very specific. Say, for instance, if you live in Manuriwa and you have to get to Henderson every day for school or for work, that's a really difficult and expensive exercise to get across Auckland. And then if we add something like congestion charging on top, uh, I'm interested to know what could council and particularly the progressive voices on council do to help make this a more just transition to a low-carbon world? That's the importance of the climate lens across everything and also looking at how we've got to ensure we have a just trans transition for those who are going to be impacted. And it's going to be those who, you know, people with disabilities, it's going to be poorer parts of Auckland, um, people who... Um, you know, right across the region, there's going to be different impacts. Um, and as council, you know, we need to be responding to that. And that's a debate that we have at the moment in terms of, you know, we've got people without even a transport service and we're trying to talk about let's invest in climate action, which is just still seems quite abstract. Whereas actually, you know, there's a whole lot of services that we've got to get right now, um, particularly access to jobs and housing um, and in a way that um, doesn't put a more of a burden on our, our poorer communities. Yeah, very much top of mind.
Now, you, along with me, are in a privileged position in that we come from comfortable neighbourhoods and sustainability is important for us, but it also is a choice that we can afford. Uh, You know, we have discretionary spend, and I I don't think I'm being facetious about that. I think it's great that we do have discretionary spend and we can choose to spend it in climate-friendly ways, but not everyone has that choice, right? If you're a poor family of six or eight and you're sharing with uh, your wider whānau, the freedom uh, farm bacon that I might choose is just not an option that's available to you, right? Yeah, and just to reinforce this point, what what could be done for uh, families, say, that live in areas of Auckland that are really ill-served by public transport or by riding or walking infrastructure? And I think just take, for instance, a place like Favona, which is a really – there would I've never ridden there, but I've driven, and I know how – that would be a terrifying place to ride a bike and even to walk uh, just because they've got so many narrow – streets and they've got tons of trucks walking uh, driving through so what you know how are we going to address these parts of Auckland that are really not fit for purpose well absolutely that's where we've got to look at making public transport affordable but even having public transport and getting that investment Mm. so that it is an option um you know I support say park and ride where it's actually used for dispersed communities so they can get to transport hubs. It's also about encouraging employers to look at how they, um, what travel management they're doing. You know, like recently it's been in the news about nurses and hospital workers having to pay exorbitant parking charges and can't get easily to Auckland Hospital. Well, you just wonder what is the DHB doing as well in terms of their travel management? Because, you know, it's, it's about making the network that we've got and the transport services we've got work for those people who need to be need to be driving and, and mm. making options available, alternatives available. Um, so it is how do we support people to be able to um, access services that are, are there? And if they can't access those services, then it's a, about provide, make, ensuring that the transport system works for them. So, I mean, a lot of that is is underway um, and I guess another thing I would add to it, like I'm very conscious of, you know, I represent the city centre, sure I ride a bike because I live three kilometres away from the town hall. I mean, I'd, I'd be stupid not to be on my e-bike. But that is not the reality for, for you know, a huge amount of Auckland. But then what we know as well is that people just want to be able to get around their own local communities they want to mm. be able to get to their local shops. And we also know that 60% of trips are under 5K. So mm. there's the huge amounts of that discretionary travel that it's about providing an alternative, whether it's a safe footpath, um, a lit footpath. I mean, that's another issue. A lot of women don't want to use bus stops. They might live quite close to a bus stop, but they don't want to walk that last 500 metres because it might be in the dark. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that whole overlay as well from you know making the the transport system work well for everybody well Pippa Coombe I hope you get the support you need to push those changes through and it's been a real pleasure talking to you all the best with your progressive agenda and let's uh, see if we can't get this change that we need and want for Auckland thank you for the opportunity for a chat really really appreciated it
Actually, how people get hold of you, Pippa? You're pretty good on Twitter. Well, I'm the only Pippa in the whole world, so it's very easy <laughs> to track me down on Twitter, Facebook, or just my council email address, pippa.coom at aucklandcouncil.gvot.nz. Great stuff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.